Mark, chapter 14, verses 51 to 72, verses 51 to 65. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even unto the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priest and all the council sought for witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, and found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And there arose certain, and bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witnesses agree together. And the high priest stood up in the midst, and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace, and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him, saying unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, and saith, What need we any further witnesses? Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death, and some began to spit on him, and to cover his face, and to buffet him, and to say unto him, Prophesize, and the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. Burkett Notes Here we have the history of our Savior's examination before the high priest and council, who set up all night to arraign and try the holy and innocent Jesus. For lest his death should look like a downright murder, they allowed him a mock trial, and abused the law by perverting it to injustice and bloodshed. Accordingly, false witnesses are suborned, who depose that they heard him say he would destroy the temple and build it again in three days. It is not in the power of the greatest innocence to protect the most innocent and holy person from slander and false accusation. Yea, no person is so innocent and good whom false witness may not condemn. Observe, too, our Lord's meekness and patience, his silence under all these wicked suggestions and false accusations. Jesus held his peace and answered nothing. Verse 61. Guilt is naturally clamorous and impatient, but innocency is silent and careless of misreports. Burkett notes, learn hence that to bear the rivalings, contradictions, and false accusations of men with silent and submissive spirit is an excellent and Christ-like temper. Our Lord stood before this unjust judge and false accusers, even as a sheep before the shearer, dumb and not opening his mouth, even then when a trial for his life was managed so maliciously and illegally against him. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. May the same humble mind and forgiving spirit be in us, which was also in Jesus Christ. Observe 3. That although our Savior was silent and made no reply to the false witnesses, Yet now, when the question was solemnly put by the high priest, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? He answered, I am. Learn thence that although we are not obliged by every ensnaring question to make answer, yet we are bound faithfully to own and freely to confess the truth when solemnly called thereunto. 
when our silence will be interpreted as a denial of the truth, a dishonor to God, a reproach and scandal to our brethren, it will be a great sin to hold our peace, and we must not be silent. Though our confession of the truth hazards our liberty, yes, our life. Christ knew that his answer would cost him his life, yet he durst not but give it. Art thou the son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. Observe 4. The crime which the high priest pronounces on our Savior to be guilty of, that of blasphemy. He has spoken blasphemy. Hereupon the high priest rents his clothes, it being usual with the Jews to do so, both to show their sorrow for it and great detestation of it and indignation against it. Observe 5. The vile affronts and horrid abuses which the enemies of our Savior put upon him. They spit in his face, they blindfold him, they smite him with their hands, and in contempt and mockery bid him prophesize who it was that smote him. Verily, there is no degree of contempt, no mark of shame, no kind of suffering, which we ought to decline or stick at for Christ's sake, who hid not his face from shame and spitting upon our account. Observe 6. The high priest rents his clothes at Christ's telling him, verse 62, Ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on God's right hand and coming in the clouds of heaven. And well might his clothes and his heart rend also. It was as if our Lord had said, I that am now your prisoner shall shortly be your judge. I now stand at your bar, and ere long you must stand at my tribunal. Those eyes of yours that now see me in the form of a servant shall behold me in the clouds at the right hand of your God and my Father. Verses 66 through 72. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again, and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. And he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak, and the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Burkett notes, this last paragraph of the chapter gives us an account of the fall and rising of Peter, of his sin in denying Christ, and his recovery by repentance. Both are considered distinctly in the notes of St. Matthew 26.69. That which here is farther to be taken notice of is as followeth. Observe 1. That amongst all the apostles and disciples of Christ, we meet not with any so extraordinary, either for their faith or obedience, as St. Peter. He was an early professor, St. Matthew 4.18, and a glorious confessor, St. Matthew 16.16. 16. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, which confession of his faith like a rock was to be the foundation of the gospel church in all ages. And Christ was pleased to put that honor upon Peter as to use his ministry in first laying the foundation of a Christian church among the Jews and Gentiles he being the first preacher to them of that faith which he did here confess. To the Jews, Acts 2, where we read of the three thousand souls converted and baptized, and to the Gentiles, Acts 10, in the conversion of Cornelius and his friends, 
whom God directed to send not to Jerusalem for James, nor to Damascus for St. Paul, but to Joppa for Peter, whom Christ had appointed for that work, that he might tell him the words by which he and his household should be saved. Observe, too, the great and mighty courage which was found in St. Peter. One, at the command of Christ, he adventures to walk on the waves of the sea. Matthew 14.28 being firmly persuaded that whatsoever Christ commanded his disciples to do, he would give them the strength and ability to perform. And two, it was a noble courage which enabled him to say, Though I die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. No doubt the good man really resolved to do as he said, little suspecting that he should, with hard oaths and bitter imprecations, deny and abjure his dying master. Lord, how prone are we to think our hearts better than they are our grace stronger than it is. Not all the instances we have of human frailty in ourselves, or all the scars, marks, and wounds upon some of the best and holiest of men, by reason of their sad and shameful falls, will sufficiently convince us of our wretched impotency and how unable we are to do good or resist evil by our own shattered and impaired strength. 3. An undaunted courage and heroic greatness of mind appeared in this apostle when he told the Jews to their faces that they were guilty of murder and must never expect salvation any other way than by faith in that Jesus whom they had ignominiously crucified and unjustly slain. Nor did St. Peter say this in a corner or behind the curtain, but in the Sanhedrin, the open court of judicature, which had so lately sentenced and condemned the Lord and Master. Observe 3. St. Peter's profound humility and lowliness of mind. It was a mighty honor that Christ put upon him in making use of his ministry for laying the foundation of a Christian church, both among Jews and Gentiles. And accordingly, Cornelius, Acts 10, would have entertained him with the expressions of more than ordinary honor and veneration, falling down at his feet and ready to adore him. But this humble apostle was so far from complying with it that he plainly told him that he was no other than such a man as himself. And when our Lord, by a stupendous act of condescension, stooped so low as to wash the disciples' feet, St. Peter could by no means be persuaded to admit of it. Neither could he be induced personally to accept it, till Christ was in a sort forced to threaten him into obedience and a compliance with it. St. John 13.8 Observe how admirable was his love unto, and how burning his zeal for, his Lord and Master, insomuch that he could and did appeal to his omnipotency for the truth and sincerity of it. Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. It was love that caused him to draw a sword in his Master's defense against a band of soldiers and an armed multitude. It was love that caused him to adventure on the greatest difficulties and to expose his life to the greatest hazards. It was love that caused him to engage so deep as to suffer and die, rather than deny him. These were his exemplary virtues. His failings were these. First, too great a confidence in his own strength, notwithstanding Christ had particularly told him that Satan had desired to winnow him as wheat. None are so likely to be overcome by a temptation as those who are least afraid of it none so ready to fall as those that think it impossible to fall. It is a dangerous thing to believe that because we have long kept our innocence, we can never lose it, and to conclude, because we have been once or twice victorious over temptations, we must be ever conquerors. 1 Corinthians 10.12
Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. That is, let him keep a jealous eye upon the weakness and inconstancy of his nature, and with a believing eye look up to the power and promise of God, that he may be preserved from falling and presented faultless in the day of Christ. Secondly, his fears overcame his faith. The insolent affronts offered to his injured master caused him to forget his former resolutions, and instead of being a valiant confessor, he turns a shameful renegado, renouncing him for whom a little before he resolved to die. Learn hence that slavish fear is a most tumultuous and ungovernable passion. Its powerful assaults not only vanquish the strongest reason, but sometimes overcome the strongest faith. It is a weapon which the tempter uses to the discomfort of some and the destruction of others, and therefore ought to be guarded against by those who set any value on the peace and comforts of their soul. Thirdly, one sin drew on another. His sinful equivocation in saying, I know not the man, prepared him for a downright denial, and that for an abjuration of him, with an impecarious and an anathema, swearing that he knew not the man. Ah, Peter, is this thou owning thy Lord? Is this thou not being offended, though all should be offended? Is this thy dying with him, rather than deny him? What, hast thou forgot all thy promises and engagements to him, and all the dear and sweet pledges of his love so lately shown to thee? Surely I have learned from thy example that it is as dangerous to trust a heart of flesh as to rely upon an arm of flesh. For had not thy denied and forsaken master prayed for thee and timely succored thee, Satan would not only have winnowed thee like wheat, but ground thee to powder. Fourthly, observe how many complicated sins were included in the sin of Peter's. The highest ingratitude to his master, unpardonable rashness in venturing into such company, tarrying there so long and without a call, making bold with a temptation, and for a time there was impenitence and hardness of heart. It is holy and safe to resist the beginnings of sin. If we yield to Satan in one temptation, he will certainly assault us with more and stronger. Peter proceeded here from a denial to a lie, from a lie to an oath, and from an oath to a curse. Let us resist sin at first, for then we have the most power, and sin has least. And the Lord looked on Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, and went out, and wept bitterly. Observe, if Christ had not looked towards Peter, Peter would never more have looked after Christ. Nor was it barely the turn of Christ's bodily eye that wrought this disciple to a sorrowful remembrance of his sin. Had not this outward look been accompanied with an inward and secret influences of his spirit, it had certainly proved ineffectual. Christ looked on Judas after his treason, aye, and reproved him too, but neither that look nor that reproof did break his heart. As sun with the same beam softens wax and hardens clay, so a look from the same Christ leaves Judas hard and impenitent, and melts down Peter into tears. Though none can say that tears are always a sign of true repentance, yet certainly they flow from a heart duly sensible of sin and deeply affected with sorrow. It administers matter of hope that there is sincere repentance. Peter, after he had wept bitterly for sin, nevermore returned to the after commission of sin. But he that was before timorous as a hare became afterwards bold as a lion. He that once so shamefully denied, nay, abjured his master, 
afterward openly confessed him, and sealed that confession joyfully with his blood. It is usually observed that a broken bone once well set nevermore breaks again in the same place. A returning backslider, when once restored, contracts such a hatred of former sins as to never, never more to run into the commission of them. Let St. Peter's fall, then, be a warning to all professors against presumptuous confidence, and his restoration to be encouragement to all backsliders to renew their faith and repentance. Amen.